0: Good morning, Solano family. Uh, It's good to be with you. It's always good, and uh, sometimes sometimes people say that just because it sounds nice and fills the gap, but I genuinely mean it's good to be with you. Um, Just wanna take a little second to look at your faces. Yeah. Thank you for your prayers, and I do ask not too proud to beg, I ask that you pray for me, pray for your brother, your pastor, as I, over these next few minutes, with God's grace and strength, uh, share with you. Pastor Andrew and I are excited about our time in the book of Acts as our teaching series. And for these couple of weeks, uh, beginning last week, today and next week, we're going to take a focus on one of the themes out of Acts, the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit come upon us and work through us? And we don't want any of us to miss out on this truth. And so we would appreciate your continual prayers for us and for us as a family. I want to share this verse. Um, I think it will help shape today's teaching. It's a familiar verse for some, but maybe not for everyone. So I want to make sure we all can follow. If you need a Bible, will you please raise your hand? You know, we've got um, Bibles available. Um, We really value the authority of Scripture as a uh, map for life to help make sense of life. And this verse we're going to look at real quick, um, briefly, It's found in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16. We'll put it on the screen for you, in case you don't have a Bible, you can follow along. 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 16. Again, it's a familiar verse, but maybe in light of our teaching, it might ring different for you this morning. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And for training in righteousness, that the man of God, or better translated, the servant of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture. I say that in particular because as we look at this theme of seeing signs and wonders through the apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And for many that, the thought of signs and wonders might be a bit uncomfortable, may seem like a fairy tale, like one of those good stories, like, I don't know, George Washington cutting down the cherry tree, you know? But we believe at Solano that all scripture is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meant for us. Um, again, our series is in the book of Acts, and we're looking at a particular story from the, the, that talks about a healing. I want you to turn with me to chapter 3 of Acts. In the Bible that we passed out, you'll find it on page 629. 629. Um, I want to do a brief recap to catch us all up. Maybe you're just joining us, you've been in and out. Um, and just two points about this recap that I want to focus on. The first is that according to Acts 2 and verse 43, if you remember, um, You can turn there. You can just maybe just flip over a page in the Bible that we passed out. Chapter 2, verse 43. We'll read the verse before to keep it all in context. And 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to breaking of bread and the prayers. And 43 says, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, I mentioned that these three weeks that we're looking at these wonders and signs through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, this story in Acts chapter 3 is just one example of the many signs and wonders that were happening just one of the many Another point is these signs and wonders or wonders and signs that were happening through the apostles they were actually becoming platforms or opportunities for the apostles to preach about the resurrection of Jesus yeah so Pastor Andrew introduced the idea of how the signs were actually pointing to something. That's what signs are for. Good signage is always good, as I would travel a lot in years before. In ministry, the best gift I could receive when I would arrive somewhere new, pick up my rental car and dash out, was I'm looking for signage, you know, To point me to my destination. Yeah. So these signs, the apostles are using to preach and point to Jesus and the resurrection. Now we see this first in chapter 2. In chapter 2, this miracle happened. The miracle of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. We talked about that a few weeks ago when on that day during the festival of weeks, as was tradition, there were three major festivals that Jewish people would observe. And one of those, the second one was the festival of weeks or the festival of harvest. Well, when it's referred to as the festival of weeks, it would mark seven weeks, 50 days from Passover. And so on the 50th day, which is what Pentecost means fiftieth on that day the holy spirit makes this grand entrance and being that the holy spirit is invisible the holy spirit made sure to make it known his arrival so there was this loud noise like rushing wind if you remember it shook the whole room where they were gathered the 120 disciples women and men along with the 12 apostles. And to show, give us a visual of the presence of the Holy Spirit, there were these small tongues of fire, little flames of fire above each person's head. Now, that wasn't enough. Then the miracle happened, whereas the disciples and the apostles left that room The men from around the world, Jews on these festivals would travel from all parts of the world to come to Jerusalem to celebrate and offer prayers and sacrifice. And so they were gathered from all over the world when they heard this noise. And as they went, they heard praises of God being spoken in their different languages from these 120 plus people who were from Galilee. So, now, Galileans are the type that will be described, I'm from the south, from Atlanta, and so when they were just common people, we would just say, wait, just just country folk. (laughs) Just country. (laughs) That's what you would think about Galileans. They weren't, you know, polished and well-educated, so for them to be speaking Languages from North Africa and Asia was a miracle. It was foreign to them. And in that moment, with all of this going on, there were still some haters in the crowd, if you remember. Some people who weren't buying this. Like, man, this is a bunch of gibberish. Folk just drunk. They got a little wine in them. I'm going to give me some of that. I say that's from the um, PDV translation. That's <laughs> version. It's not exactly inspired, but it helps when I'm reading things. Um, Peter then uses this opportunity, having this captive audience, to preach and calm the hecklers. No, these folk ain't drunk. Come on now, it's too early in the morning to be drinking like that. Ain't no rhyme, that's wrong. No. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And again, uses this miracle to preach this heart piercing message about Jesus. Yes, Jesus, the one that you crucified. The Father blessed him, but you denied him. You and your rulers. Well, that message went forth, and at the end, people were so struck to their hearts that as we read, some 3,000 gave their lives to the Lord and put their saving faith in Jesus that day. And so the church went from that 120 and 12 apostles to now over 3,000, and just One powerful, spirit-empowered message. Now, what we have now some months later in chapter 3 is another opportunity for God to use a miracle to be a platform for his message to go forth. So Pastor Andrew began last week with this idea of an unexpected dance. I love that one. That was good, Pastor. Unexpected dance. As this miracle happens, um, if you want to look now in chapter 3, the first 10 verses describe this miracle. Now, the writer, uh, dear brother uh, Dr. Luke, does an excellent job just painting this picture for us. And Pastor Andrew even used that analogy for us to kind of get a picture of and to step into this scene. If you remember, um, Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. Another tradition, there were three fixed hours of prayer that happened in the temple. And this as it says in the ninth hour would be really in our time, three o'clock in the afternoon. So this is the evening prayer time. And as was custom, The brothers are going up to pray, and on the way up as they go into the temple, there is this gate called Beautiful that we read about. There, on the steps, was a man crippled since birth. We later learned in chapter 4 that this man is nearly 40 years old, so most of his adult life, if not longer, had been spent in this place begging for money. As people would go into the temple, Peter and John on that day encountered this man. And in a way that would forever change his life, you remember, as they walked up on this brother, they fixed their eyes, their gaze on him, both of them. And then getting his attention said, look at us, look at us. (laughs) <laughs> I love a Pastor Andrew mentioned uh, this is an example of how God sees us. God sees us. In our condition, in whatever state we might be in, we think that we don't matter maybe sometimes. Like this man lying there. Isn't it something how, you know, you had the opportunity to, to be driving around and uh, you come to a stoplight and off to the side There might be a woman or a man without a home, and they had their sign, and they're walking up and down, trying to get the attention of drivers. Isn't it amazing how in that moment you always find something on the radio you need to adjust? You drop something, adjusting the mirror. Anything but looking at them, right? Right? I mean, because what would that do? They may come over to the car and start trying to wash the window or look for some money. But Peter and John looked at him and then said, look at us. So the brother did. He looked at them. In fact, he looked at them expecting something. Naturally, right? That's, that's what he does. He sits here, and you brothers want me to look at you. Now, you done already messed up stuff because now there's a flow that happens generally. You know, people walk by. They don't look. They just drop and keep on moving. But now you done stopped the whole line causing a scene making me look at you. So I know you're going to give me something. You must be bank. I'm sorry, translation. Uh, Wealthy. (laughs) Expectations. We approach God like that, right? Expecting something. Right? Maybe oh, maybe this is a different crowd. I'm sorry. I, I approach God expecting. I've been approaching God now for over a year expecting healing to be done with this thing. God, right? <laughs> you got my attention. I'm looking. I'm waiting. And then to make it all confusing, Peter says, no, 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 brother. We don't have any money. Silver and gold we don't have. Really? <laughs> Again, I may remind you, you've already messed up my, my day, my money, and you don't have any money? He said, no, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reached out their hand, grabbed his right hand, and helped him to stand. And the text says as when he Felt this strength in his feet and ankles come for the first time in his life. Can you imagine this? He's never walked. I mean, he wasn't the kid, you know, that your parents hold. Oh, you know. My little brother, Jonathan, this rascal, um, like every family, you know, trying to help him. Come on. God. Oh, man, he was so stubborn because he knew we wanted him to walk. So one day during Bible study at our home, my stepfather would leave Bible study. We're all there praying, and Jonathan, out of nowhere, just stands up, wobbly, and starts walking right in the middle of Bible study. (laughs) Well, our friend here never had that experience until now. He stands up and it doesn't wobble long because the text says immediately he leaped and started walking, walked right into the temple rather than going to find the latest, you know, Jerusalem news network (laughs) to tell his story because he had a story, you know, write a book, how I walked over, you know, no, (laughs) right into the temple with Peter and John to offer up prayers and praise. And oh, he had some praising to do, wouldn't you think? An unexpected dance. One of those what we where I'm from call a holy dance. Well, that's a step that you do. <laughs> you know, when you get so filled with the spirit, it takes over your emotions. It's an awesome thing. Well, that was this that's what this brother cut right then. He cut that little dance. Oh, wow. An unexpected dance. Well, that's what brings us to this place today. In verse 11, we take up the story and what I will call an invitation to the dance. An invitation to the dance. In chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, Before I I jump into this, though, um, Pastor Andrew last week helped us out with a picture of the temple. And with that, marked out where the beautiful gate would be in the temple to give us a visual you know of what, where all this was going on and it was so helpful i was asking my son i said hey mj <laughs> you know daddy wants to you know try to use some techy stuff and if you know me i'm low tech sometimes no tech and uh so what did you think about what Pastor Andrew did last Oh, man, it was really good. It helped me with my visual learning. Oh, okay. That's good, son. That's my son. Real deep like that. So I said, uh, well, I need your help. You're going to have to help, Daddy. Find something and put it together on this slide. Mercy. So I found a couple slides. I'm going to put those up. Uh, this is a look at the structure called Solomon's Porch. All right? That's where these next verses, the scene takes place. Solomon's, porch. so let's look at the structure. It was basically a large porch with columns. These double columns, if you will, some 60 columns. The porch was made of cedar, wood. It was a beautiful structure. Now here's one to give you a look at um, where it fit in the temple. You see there's a marker for the beautiful gate. Where we looked last week, and then over there is Solomon's porch. It was on the east side of the temple, along the eastern wall. And so, the porch is significant. And like all good porches, again, I grew up in the south, and there was something about a porch, you know, it became that spot where everybody would kind of just sit and just hang out and talk and laugh and people watch It was awesome, the porch, the gathering spot. Well, that's what Solomon's porch was. But for religious purposes, it was at the temple, of course. So rabbis, Jewish teachers would gather with their disciples at Solomon's porch and teach and talk about deep spiritual things. Jesus actually would go to Solomon's porch. We have it recorded in the Gospels in John that Jesus one day was walking on Solomon's porch gathered people, and it's there he taught about being the great shepherd, the good shepherd. So, kind of fitting if you think about it, that this will be the place where Peter would get the opportunity to once again preach and teach and share about this miracle. And that's what we have, beginning at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John... All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? Like, really? I mean, think about it. They just came out of the temple in the inner courts, worshiping and offering prayers. Now they're coming out back through the beautiful gate into the outer courts, the court of Gentiles probably, to head over to the porch where they're met with this huge crowd. They said the man was clinging to Peter and John. Makes sense, I would think. I mean, it's only been a couple of hours since he'd been able to do this walking thing. He's seen people do it, but now he's actually doing it. So I can imagine him kind of clinging, trying to figure out how that foot in one, you know. And that would for sure cause a scene. Word got out about what happened. And so there they are staring at Peter and their new friend. And Peter, again, uses this opportunity, just like in chapter 2, to address the crowd to clear up any confusion of what's going on, right? And he says, okay, why are you so surprised and wondering at this? Really? Oh, you think it's something that we did? He used it to turn the whole focus off of the man and off of themselves and puts it on Jesus. Yes, guys, Jesus. You remember Jesus the one that you denied after the father glorified, you deny him, ask for a murderer in exchange for this innocent man, Jesus, that one. And he says in verse 16, I love it. Verse 16. And in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is, through Jesus, has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Oh, don't get it wrong. Don't miss it. You're about to miss it. You're thinking this is all about him or all about us, but it's truly all about Jesus. Now, Peter wasn't trying to minimize the miracle. He just wanted to magnify the work of the master. I didn't want them to miss it like we might miss it. We might get so caught up in the miracle or desiring the miracle that we miss the master and the work that he wants to do, the deep work that he wants to do that begins so much with what he called them to, repentance. Repentance. Now, he said, "I I get it. You know, you, you, you were ignorant, you know, maybe just like your rulers. You didn't know. <clears throat> Jesus understood that because as he was there outstretched on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They have no idea. Huh. Yeah, but true, as Peter's told them, this was what the prophets preached and that had to be fulfilled. But you know what? Ignorance and God's plan is no excuse for sin. Ignorance and God's plan is no excuse for sin. So he calls them out and says, you need to repent. Turn away from your thinking, the wrong thinking. Turn away and turn to Christ. And he promised from that three blessings would flow. Yes, your sins will be blotted out, wiped away. And I liked as I looked at this, there was this, um, this analogy for this. In ancient times, they used papyrus to write and ink. And there was a type of ink that's different from our modern day ink. See, we used our ink on the papyrus, which was very fragile. It would grip the fabric, the fibers. But the ink they used was in such a way that the ink would just lay on top of the papyrus. So that if something needed to be erased or wiped away, It was done simply like that, just wiped away. That's the picture of how Christ handles, uh, erased, blotted out. Hmm. That's a blessing. The second blessing was that times of refreshing would just flow from the presence of the Lord. And thirdly, you'll receive this gift, Jesus. If you just repent, well, we'll read later and learn more next week about their response. Just like in chapter 2, when Peter preached, the people responded and repented, and the church grew even larger after this preaching because of this miracle. You know, we're full focusing on this miracle in all three of these sermons. It's the real centerpiece of what's happening. And it'll be easy to read this, and like, you know, again, like many think about stories, this is a nice, nice story in Acts. I've talked to people, and they just wonder if it's even real. So I want to spend this, just a quick minute or so to talk about What are signs and wonders? Explain signs and wonders. Um, The definition, give you a definition. Signs and wonders are basically miracles that have a divine, that point to a divine authority. A miracle that's connected to God. And wonders would be these unusual events that cause people to be just amazed. I was looking at this studying uh, The word wonder in the Greek is teros. It's the word that we get our English word terra from. Terra. These wonders were Things that when they would happen, it would usually leave people with the expression of, you know. Well, think about it. When we think about signs and wonders, they're all throughout the Bible. Old Testament, Moses, you know, servant of God, messenger of God. It goes to Pharaoh, you know, and in the name of God, asking for Pharaoh to release God's people. Pharaoh, the text says, the Lord hardened his heart. God, super stubborn, irrationally stubborn. And so God says in Exodus, I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. And that's what happened. Remember the 10 plagues? These miracles and when wonders, like wonders like locusts just coming out of nowhere, everywhere, uh, in the food, in people's hair. That's a wonder that will make you go, ah. Get the picture? Jesus performed signs and wonders. His ministry, it was a part of his ministry. He came to proclaim and teach the kingdom of God, but he also came and demonstrated the power in the kingdom of God. So miracles were a part of his ministry, and miracles became a part of the commissioning for the apostles. Yeah. So the purpose of miracles, right? Purpose of miracles. They are for us to fix our eyes and point to a way to authenticate the messenger and the message. They were to prove that what is being done and who is doing it are from God. To authenticate the message and the messenger. And Jesus, when he would perform miracles, in the Gospels we read about that, it was his way of showing that he had authority. Luke tells one story, if you remember, of this man who was crippled. And his friends brought him to be healed by Jesus. But on this occasion, Jesus was in a house, and it was so packed inside and outside that the men had to actually climb on top of the roof, break it open, and lure their friend down in front of Jesus. The text says, seeing their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, There's always some hecklers in the crowd, so the Pharisees that were present are thinking, how dare he? That's blasphemy, that he would dare heal this man. Oh, no, pronounce him forgiven of sins. Who does that? Jesus understanding their thoughts, you know, like calling them out. Oh, really? I love it. Just just in Jesus style, like, I have authority. Your sins are forgiven, friend. In the meantime, get up and walk. To show his power and authority. I think about the results of these signs and wonders. What was the whole point in it? They would lead typically to people believing. Believing. People putting their faith in Jesus. Also, um, to mention, it would lead to praise and glory to God. We see that when, in chapter 2, the people were so amazed. Now, I want to bring this home for us when it comes to signs and wonders, these miracles of God. I believe, I didn't share, but I'll share it now, Uh, the key biblical truth, I believe, of this whole passage is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been invited to participate with God so that hope and healing in this sin-sick world of ours by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus can be possible. God wants to use us. God is looking to work through us to bring hope and healing to our sin-sick world. This hope and healing was the mission of the apostles, the disciples of Jesus. Traditionally, we think of the Great Commission as how Matthew articulates it. You know, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel, You know, to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. You know, the Great Commission. Well, Luke does a rendition of the commission. We read about that a few weeks ago over the summer in Luke 24. He adds the importance of forgiveness and repentance being the message that you were taking. You'll be the witnesses of that. Okay? Okay. He adds a little caveat that was so important, though. You're to wait until you're clothed with power from on high to carry out this mission, though. Matthew didn't mention that. Luke did. But understand what Mark and his take on the Great Commission. Mark, you see, he was the kind of brother when he tells his gospel account of Jesus's life. He was just focusing on Jesus as the servant of God. And typically with servants, you just kind of focus on what they do. You don't care much about what they say, but what they do. So that's what Mark did. And his gospel account is just full of miracle after miracle of Jesus. It's amazing. So think it not strange that when he lends his version of the Great Commission, we find in Mark chapter 16. I want to read this to you. This is what Mark says. And he said to them, this is Jesus, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And to these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then Jesus, the Lord Jesus, after having spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, the Great Commission. So you see, this commission, this mission that we've been given as followers of Jesus— calls for us to proclaim the truth of Jesus' resurrection, but also to demonstrate the power of the resurrection. That's for us, for all times, for every generation, for the church, Big C and Little C, Solano. The question that all of this hinges on is, do you believe? Do you believe that God, by the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, has power to heal and bring hope to your life and to those around us? Do you believe? It is the question that begs to be answered. Do you believe? Because if so, You're invited to the dance. You're invited to experience this hope and healing that comes from Jesus. Yes, the dance. My daughter, right now, she's in Boston with this ministry called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And we prayed about her going. I was excited when the idea first came up over a year ago. Uh, I remember working with these students when I was a admissions counselor and ministry director at Wheaton College. During that season, I was excited about working with young people, oh man, and especially these YWAM kids. They would come, usually have a, after taking a gap year after graduation, and they would go and travel around the world and have these real encounters with God, seeing the power of God, People getting saved and people getting healed. It was amazing. Ah! And so when it comes up that my daughter had this opportunity, I'm thinking, this would be awesome. I want my, my child to, to know God this way. And wouldn't you know, within just a couple of weeks into the program, one of the team members, there are 18 ladies, five guys. right? One of the young ladies, Phoebe, legally blind in one of her eyes. whole life doctors have tried and they were at this point now with nothing they could do for her well Phoebe believed God she believed that God was going to heal her in fact on her birthday she said that's what God told her okay now family and friends were like okay Phoebe that's sweet baby that's nice they didn't believe her they didn't believe but her team you know Ivana texted me gave us a story she said, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical. But she said, but I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it if God does something. That was Wednesday night. That was Wednesday night. Bev, you know, my wife, um, I call her. It's, it's a joke. I, it's agreed. It's okay. I can see it. Uh, I call her a little junior Holy Spirit sometimes, right? And so she lit up on this one. And she starts texting back, Yvonne, I just sent one message. Love you, baby. Just pray, you know, da da. da. Bev just burp, burp, several back and forth about it, giving her passages of Scripture. She shared with her the healing of the man because of the faith of the friends. She said, baby, you need to be that for her. Your faith can be used by God to heal this girl. That was Wednesday night. She also sent texts out to many of you here at Solano. Yes, that was Wednesday night. On Thursday morning, we get a text from Ivana. Phoebe is healed. Phoebe is healed. Phoebe is healed. (sighs) Ooh. My baby got to witness that. Now, it took me till the weekend, Saturday, to get the story of what happened and to see some pictures that were posted. And that's not just for Phoebe. That's not just for the man at the gate. Beautiful. That's for you. That's for me. Do you believe that? I want to invite you to this dance. I don't want you to be some wallflower. Eighth grade dance, right? Middle school. And the eighth grade dance was the event of the year. Eighth grade dance, baby. That's all we have. That's what we got. And now, my, my middle school experience, we had sixth, seventh, eighth. That was middle school. Um, so, when you get to the eighth grade, you're the king of the hill. And so, that night of the dance, um, I wrote with the friend because we were always, as a family, that wasn't, we were poor, okay? And uh, so, we always had car challenges. So, I had to ride with the friend, but I was ready. I had my outfit, Miguel. <laughs> I had my outfit, I was ready. You know, got my cut, got my fade on. You know, when you get there, you see everybody because everybody had to get a ride, right? So we all getting out of cars from mom and dad. We walk in and, we, and the gym is lit up, set up, got the big table with the snacks. And all the brothers go up and get a little drink. But then we always find ourselves, it's only punch. Uh, we, we find ourselves, everybody would just like get to the wall. Ladies over there, guys over here. He was just kind of playing and everyone's just, you know, checking each other out. Man, those are nice shoes, bro. Uh, and then they played the song. And when they play your song, you gotta come off the wall. That's how we just gotta come off the wall. But it was, guys would ask girls to dance. That took a little courage. But when they playing your song, bruh. You lose all that. You just lose, and you walk up, and then you make that approach. (laughs) And they're looking to see who's going to get asked, right? And you got the guys talking. (laughs) And then you invite her to the dance. You invite her. You want to dance with me? The Spirit is calling you. Get off the wall. Stop, cut out this spectator worship. Cut out this spectator faith. Come. Last week, we made the call and the invitation, a nice long list of things that you might be struggling with that would define your condition as you sit. And we had a beautiful time of prayer, in both services. I want to invite you today. There will be people from the prayer team, prayer counselors available up front and around to pray with you about your faith, maybe. About whatever is ailing you, maybe, but I invite you to come out From the wall. You know, as we look now to the table for the Lord's Supper, there's a passage of Scripture that that so stirs my heart. From Isaiah, he says, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by his stripes, we are healed. That's what we celebrate at this table. That's what we celebrate how on the night before our Lord was taken, his body was broken. Broken and bruised for us. Also, the Bible says that life is through the blood. Well, Jesus gave his life by shedding his blood for us. We remember that each Sunday when we gather to do this. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember how my body was broken. Remember how I shed my blood for you. And we get to participate. We don't get to sit back and just reflect. We get to come forward and participate in this. By faith, we believe in what Jesus did for us. And if that is your story, you're invited to this table. You're invited to this table. Will you pray with me? And as the Spirit leads you, Come, so gracious God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, taking on it all for us. And so we are here. Help us in this moment to remember anything we've done as an offense to you or to others. Will you please forgive us? Have mercy so that we might partake of this with Give us pure hearts. Give us clean hands, oh God. We do love you and thank you so much for your love for us first. In Jesus' name, we're praying with great expectation in the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen.